This is Working the Beat. Tuesday, June 16th, 2020. I'm Kevin Cooney. Mike Kern will join us in a minute. Have a great show on tap for you this week. Big week for us as we uh, have two great guests. Uh, today, it's Chris Carlin, the uh, former host of Afternoons on WIP, longtime known for his work on uh, WFAN in New York and uh, specifically with uh, Mike and the Mad Dog as their producer. Um, now with ESPN Radio in New York, he's the uh, 6 to 10 guy there following the uh, Michael K show on uh, ESPN in New York. So we'll talk to him about, well, let's be honest. We're going to talk to him about baseball's amazing disaster of Rob Manfred's contrast, contrasting comments, uh, whether the sport will play this year, whether anybody cares anymore if it's played this year. Also touch on the NBA and uh, hopefully get into some stories about his time with uh, Mike and Doggy coming up. Uh, so that's with Chris Carlin. Uh, tomorrow we're recording this. It'll be up probably more Wednesday night into Thursday. Um, we have Jim Gardner. Uh, the lead anchor at Action News for the last 44 years. Uh, I call him Philadelphia icon, and there's no doubt he's an icon in Philadelphia. Uh, when you have become one of the most trusted, has be, been the voice of the most uh, the top-rated newscast for the last 44 years, um, you, you pay attention, and you call him an icon. You earn icon status, and so Jim Gardner will join us. <laughs> on wednesday and that will be our second show of the week we're going two shows this week uh and as we start winding it's hard to believe i mean we're in the summer already and it it doesn't feel like it it'll be summer this weekend it doesn't feel like it because you haven't had baseball and you haven't had an nba finals and you haven't had a stanley cup finals and you have an idea that the nba finals may be coming or the nba season may be resuming and the nhl Seems like they're on path to resume, <clears throat> and um, yet here we are. Baseball is uh, baseball's in severe trouble, friends. It is in severe, severe trouble, and it's not hyperbolt to say that because the leadership of the sport has failed it and has failed the fans. It has failed just about everything. Uh, it's failed its players in a way. Um, who will likely have a full season look and obviously the pandemic has a large part of this this isn't strictly economics but the economics is what makes it ugly you know if they couldn't play because of the pandemic i think people would have been okay with it but the fact that the economics have have absolutely crept into this discussion front and center ahead of a cba at the end of 2021 it, it is you know in 94, it was a lot to get back. It took Sosa and McGuire, and we'll talk, by the way, about that stupid 30 for 30. It was the worst one yet coming up as well. Uh, it took Sosa and McGuire and Ripken to bring it back, and Griffey back in, in, in after the 94 strike. I don't know what the magic carpet or the magic bullet will be to try to bring baseball back from this disaster, uh, but we'll see. When we come back, Chris Carlin and Mike will join us. We'll talk... Baseball, we'll talk a lot of things here as Chris Carlin joins us here on Work of the Beat. Glad you're with us right after this. 
We're going to reach the sports fans of Philadelphia in a brand new way. This is Kevin Cooney. Each week, the Working to Be podcast with Mike Kern and I brings the hottest topics into this sports crazed town with the people and the events that shape the landscape. Now, your business could connect with those people by advertising on the Working to Be podcast. Join us at 267-546-7277 or email us at workingthebeat at gmail.com to find out how you can reach out to this growing audience. It's the best sports talk in Philadelphia, and you can be a part of it. That's 267-546-7277 or workingthebeat at gmail.com to join the Working the Beat podcast family. And joining us now... uh, he was here only for a brief time in Philadelphia, but you know the signal WFAM reached here for a long time too. So we all knew him before he got here. Then he worked with Ike Reese. Then he went back to WFAN, and now he's at uh, ESPN Radio in New York doing the seven o'clock to seven uh, eleven shift, I believe. It's our buddy and the voice of Rutgers football. It's our buddy Chris Carlin. Chris, how are you? I'm great, guys. What's going on? Oh, nothing. Nothing at all. <laughs> Quite literally nothing. <laughs> so I, I got to ask, what was your show like last night after the Rob Manfred news broke? Uh, you know, it's just so it, it, it was at first when I saw it, it was all right. I'm going to go off on this. And then I just looked at it and. I just thought this is another negotiating ploy on his part. He's trying to get them uh, back to the table. And look, with, if Manfred shuts down the season, the owners are going to look like the bad guys. And he's already managed to do the impossible with that because forever fans would look at the players and say, oh, they're spoiled. They make millions of dollars to play a game. I'd do it for free. Think about that. Think about how hard it is to actually make the players a sympathetic figure, and he has managed to do that. So the show, as you can imagine, there were a lot of annoyed people last night about it, especially in New York where baseball is is number one. And, and the one thing yeah. and the one thing that kind of goes along with it is the idea that this continues, you know, the old saying in baseball, stay hot. Well, you had the Astros thing. You had the contraction of the minor leagues, which is coming. Uh, the trophy comment he made in the wake of the Astros thing, which alienated a bunch of players and really made the sport look silly. And now you have this mismanagement, which granted Tony Clark's a part of this too. I'm not totally putting it all on Manfred. Is it starting to get to the point where maybe this guy shouldn't have this job? I I think that um, we got to remember it's the owners behind him. Right. And it's the guys that are, are, so out of touch and so unwilling to lose any penny. And, and look, we can, do I know all of the ins and outs financially behind the scenes of what it takes to run a franchise and how much it costs and how much you make? I don't. Here's what I know that with one exception, every single owner that has bought a team has seen it go up in value remarkably. I mean, you, you know, I, the, the comments I can't take are like Bill DeWitt in St. Louis. You know, baseball's mm-hmm. not that profitable. He bought the team 25 years ago for $150 million. They're worth over $2 billion now. He has seen over 15 times the value increase. Tom Ricketts with the Cubs has seen his uh, investment triple in, in 11 years. So I, I get it. They leverage against their franchises. They borrow against them. But 
I think that Manfred will end up being the fall guy for that, but he should be. Because, Kevin, you know, to me, Manfred is a guy that's just a bully. It's a bully mentality. You have to win every single negotiation. And how many times you got to beat him over the head? And at the same time, I could make the same argument that Tony Clark's got to be out too. I think Tony Clark's done a bad job as as their uh, as their leader, and I would do whatever I could if I were the Players Association to go pry Donald Fear back away from the NHLPA and, yeah. and get him back over there because yeah. he did a great job when he was there. I, Mike, yeah, Chris, you know you're familiar with New York, obviously, and, and you were familiar with Philadelphia. Do you see a difference in the way? The two cities maybe look at this having had nothing for three months. I mean, I know how we are here in Philly, and baseball is not the number one thing here in Philly, but it's still important. Or are both cities pretty much, you know, is Boston, Philadelphia, New York, we're all the same, we're just clamoring for something? I mean, listen, I think we're all clamoring for something, but, you know, when I listen to Ike and John now, it brings me back to when I was there because – in a lot of ways, because the Eagles are number one, and some days there's just nothing going on with the Eagles, but you're still looking for angles to talk about with them because it's what people care about. It's kind of helped prepare me for this a little bit more. You know, people there love the idea, not just love the Eagles, they love the idea and everything that they are. So I think when you're talking about here, you know, there's, it's almost being spoiled by so much that they don't know what to do with themselves when there's nothing going on. And I, I think from that standpoint, um, you know, like Philadelphia is, you know, you, you could deal with this as long as there's football in the fall. And it's not a knock on the Phillies. It's not a knock on the Sixers or anything like that. We all know who's number one. And it's right. by a lot. So up here, without baseball games, it's absolutely killing them. It's, yep. a, it's, an, it's an older generation right now that loves baseball, and it's starting to fade, and they don't have games to talk about right now. So, I, I you know, it's, it's not easy to do a talk show right now, but it also, listen, you're doing a talk show, so uh, <laughs> it's not lifting bricks here. Let's, let's not get it twisted. You, you, you talk <laughs> yeah. about – you talk again, okay, Mike. I'm sorry. Oh no, I was just saying we just lost our three-time Pro Bowl guard. Yeah, it's like, yeah. I would, you know, that, that's like the huge news for next month. Yeah, <laughs> and, and you know what? I, I mean, I brought that up on the show last night. We only did a two-hour show last night, um, going into that uh, ESPN special for sports. We were airing that in the Sports Center special, and hey, Giant fans, they just lost a three-time Pro Bowl guard. You know, that's something that we're going to bring up there and, and tie it in. Uh, locally, but I mean that's a crushing, that's a crushing blow for the Eagles. I mean I, I, I could not get over that when I saw it. That's rough. Chris Carlin joins us. Hey Chris, uh, since you, since we talked about how baseball is God up in New York, and one of the stories that came out last week was the idea about the the Mets being for sale, and one of the names being mentioned hmm. is Josh Harris. And <laughs> you've been able to experience the Josh Harris experience down here a little bit. Um. A, how realistic is it to think that he's a contender to buy that team? Because it seems like every day you turn and there's somebody else's name being connected, J-Lo and, 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 you know, and, and, and all that. And, and B, would Josh Harris's act fly in flushing? No. No. Uh, here's where we're at here. 
Met fans right now just want anybody not li- named Wilpon. <laughs> yeah, they, yeah, right now they have been living in their Wilpon bubble mm-hmm. and just can't imagine it ever getting worse. And they don't understand that it actually can. If you really look around professional sports, there are worse owners all over the place. And I'm not defending the Wilpons by any stretch. They haven't done a good job at all. And a lot of it's had to do uh, with the money that they owe against City Field. Now, having said that, what does Josh Harris do? He comes in, he will try to slap a fresh coat of paint on it, but it's not like somebody who's a private equity individual is going to come in and spend billions. You know, this is, you know, that's why they would have been much better off if Steve Cohen, if that deal had not fallen apart. And think about, do me a favor, just be a fly on the wall in that room for a second. The, the, the Wilpon siblings and Saul Katz, who is Fred's, uh, you know, brother-in-law, who has wanted to get rid of the team forever and is not a big fan of Jeff. And that sale fell through before the virus hit because Jeff wanted to still run the team for five years without having any skin in the game. Mm -hmm. How ridiculous is that? And they weren't even giving up the network at that point. It was a ridiculously good deal, and they let it get away from them because of that. So, look, will Josh Harris's act fly? No, no. But right at the beginning, everybody will look at this and say, wow, this is is great. Look, they've got a – a contender down in Philadelphia. Well, what they don't realize is they, it's not you know, only in a couple of instances, they've gone out and spent money when they had a chance. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and look at what's happened with the devils. Yeah. The devils, since he bought them, haven't been to the playoffs since in, I've been to the playoffs once in seven years and he bought them because he wanted the prudential center. So that whole idea is, and even if you buy, look, at, and even if you look at stress team, right. And you know? even if you look at the prudential center, the prudential center in that market with Barclays and, mm-hmm. and even now Long Island, you float, obviously MSG prudential center is not getting what it used to either. And that building, if you've been there recently, and I know you have, it, it really feels cheap. <laughs> like every, yeah. every corner has been cut. It, it, it's, yeah. I, uh, uh, yeah, it's, it's not um, a good. It's not a good ownership group. Period. No, no, it's not. And and they're also looking to buy the network, you know. And and that is something that up until right now, because of no baseball, prints money. Yeah, absolutely prints money. The Wilpons own sixty five percent of it. SNY, SNY, we should point out. SNY we're talking about here. And I listen, I worked there, and I right. to truth be told, they were great to me. I worked there for eight and a half years. They mm-hmm. were. Phenomenal to me, but um, that network printed money. And at some point here, they're going to have to start giving it back for a couple of months. But, you know, I understand why Josh Harris wants to buy it. Um, But I think the network is probably more so than the team. I guess, although you guys could tell me, uh, you know, is he now getting into this idea of enjoying the celebrity of being an owner or not? Well, he bought or a little stake. He money. bought a little stake in the Steelers too, which was. I weird. saw that. I saw it's that. It's only like five or ten percent, but I mean, it, it, it's clear he wants to expand it out. And I don't know. I, it, Mike Mike has a different feel about Josh Harris than I do. I, I think Josh is not a good owner at all. But Mike, Mike, I no, know. I, I, no, I don't disagree, Kevin. He may be the worst owner ever. I just think sometimes I look at like yeah, I think we judge him because we don't like him. I like yeah. I don't think we look at Josh Harris as a guy and say I don't like that. 
Yeah, I don't like the way he acts. I don't, you know, when he does the thing with not paying the people and then rescinds it the next day. Um, I, but, you know, I mean, look, the Sixers are a contender, or they were a contender. I mean, I don't know if they are now. But and maybe he fell into that. Um, but like what Chris just said about the about the Devils, I mean, you know, if once in seven years in hockey is not good. So, you know, maybe he is a really bad owner. I mean, I know he's in it for the money. He's not in it. I mean, I think he would like to win. All owners like to win, but I think he's in it to to turn. You know, like you were saying, like with the the Cardinal guy bought it for two hundred million, and now it's worth like seven trillion. There was also one other baseball story I wanted to flip to, and it was actually Angelo talked about it a lot this morning. Uh, it's been linked with Joe Girardi, Chris, and mm. the eventual release of this letter that maybe the Yankees were cheating back in 2017. And oh, th- th- there, yes. there's some concern that Joe could face a suspension here. Um, oh, God. What's the reaction among among Yankee fans, at least at this point, about kind of the cheating scandal and how they may get lumped into it. Well, as you can imagine, they've been screaming and yelling about the Astros yeah. for months. Now quiet, for isn't months. it? <laughs> yeah. And it just, yeah, it just kind of quieted down a little bit. I think there's a nervous energy right now. I would be very surprised if what came out about the Yankees would result in a Joe Girardi suspension. I'd be very surprised if that happened. I I just don't think the Yankees like anything getting out about them potentially not being pristine in every way. Um, You know, from what I gather, maybe it's somewhere between the Astros and the Red Sox. What did they allegedly do, guys? I'm just stealing signs. Stealing signs. Stealing signs, same kind of thing. Same thing. You mean like elect- electronically? You mean like yeah, like like yeah. I, yeah, okay. I, I think the video guy. But they're, they're, the the whole issue now is this letter that was sent to them. They're trying to get unsealed mm-hmm. to talk about oh, the details okay. of it. And so okay. I, I think Yankee fans are probably a little bit nervous about that. But um, I don't think it's going to be anywhere near. Mm something that you have to worry about Joe Girardi getting suspended. My, my, this reminds me, what this reminds me of steroids. Everybody did it. <laughs> it's really <laughs> starting to look that way, you, right? Yeah, I mean, I mean. Well, there was, a, there, was a, there was a report this weekend that the 2017 Phillies did it, and if they did it, oh, God. they were the absolute <laughs> worst at ceiling signs I've ever seen. I was seen. there because they were yeah. atrocious. What were they? You they know, were 30 if, under if they 500. They were trying to steal signs. No, it Kevin, wasn't you working. Got it wrong. Kevin, you got it wrong. They were giving their signs to yeah. other teams. <laughs> that, that's, that's how it was. They, it were, th- was a- they were 30 <laughs> games under 500, and yet they were yeah. stealing signs. If that was the case, I want to know what Odubel Herrera was looking at in terms of signs that year. Hey, just, Chris, let, let me what ask you was the sign to not run out of ball? Exactly. <laughs> Stop. You know, here, here in Philly, you talked about, like, the Eagles. You know, as long as the, we have the Eagles, we're good. Um, you have so many teams up in New York. But right now, the only team that really looks like it could win a championship was the Yankees and mm-hmm. was one of the favorites. How disappointing, then, is this if this season – doesn't come off, or even if it's like one of those 50 game deals where nobody really takes it serious, that the one team in New York right now that really looked like it was poised to maybe do something isn't maybe going to get a chance to do that. You know, listen, Yankee fans are annoyed. There's no question. Um, But it's not like the opportunities haven't been there the last few years. That's Um, true. Yeah. You know, I, I guess what I would point to for, for their sake is, you know, they went out and did what the Yankees do. And they signed a guy that, 
is the top of the market and, you know, many consider the best pitcher in baseball right now. I, I, I'm sure it's aggravating to them uh, at the moment. It's funny, like there's not a lot of talk right now of like, oh my God, this is costing us a championship at the moment, you know? um, And that's an arrogance of a Yankee fan because they've got 27 of them. (laughs) So they're just, you know, if they don't get it this year, they know the next one's not that far off, but they actually haven't won, uh, as we know, since 2009. So with that in mind, at some point here, uh, they're going to start getting a little itchy about it. No doubt about that. I would imagine the city that probably is feeling this more is the Dodgers. A, a Dodger. Oh, fan. I think it's killing the Dodgers. It's got I because it's, that's it's absolutely killing. They made the move for bets. The clock yep. is running out as is because Kershaw is not getting any younger and all that. This was the year they were poised to to go fi- take that final step. And you know, one thing if it's a fifty-five game schedule, you invite a fluke team like the Rockies or the Padres or, yeah. uh, uh, or you know, yeah. the, like the Baltimore but, Orioles could get hot for fifty Kevin, games. Kevin. Even if you're the, even if the Dodgers win it in a fifty game season, it's, it's a bastardize. Yeah, exactly. Well, but here's yeah. yeah, and but here's here's my other point about Manfred that aggravates the hell out of me. Think about what he has done to that trophy. Oh, we're not going to strip right. it away from the 2017 yeah. Astros. Right. Then we're going to call it a hunk of metal, and now you're going to equate whoever wins this year in a fifty some game season the shortest season by more than half of any other season ever, mm-hmm. you're going to equate that to every other great champion that we've ever seen. I'm sorry. I, I got yeah. a big, big problem with that. I feel like baseball should just reinvent themselves here for a year and not disrespect the past like that and disrespect the trophy like that. It's not the same thing. And especially when you look at it, that there's no guarantee it'll get through a playoff without a spike in the numbers and the coronavirus and everything. So why not just restart fresh? And it would look awful anyway, but it it would look worse if you somehow got to October and either you you had a fluke champion who didn't really deserve it or you end up having to stop it in the playoffs. So you you guys don't think you guys don't think they should at this point they should have a season. I would well, not. I, I, I was so aggravated with it that, like, I'm just like, just go away and we'll see okay. you in the spring. But, look, do I want to watch baseball right now? Of course. And I, I, if they are going to do it, I would reinvent it for this year and I would turn it into some kind of a, a tournament, okay. some kind you know, round-robin thing. I had a fan tweet me who I thought, considering everything going on, was a tremendous idea you know, a 42 or 47 game regular season uh, in honor of Jackie Robinson and in honor of everything going on right now and call it like the Jackie Robinson cup for a season, something like okay. that. Like, you know, you that, got a chance to try something different, yeah. no. you know, if you no. are going to play. Chris yeah, Carlin joins I mean, Chris, let me, let me flip to the NBA here. Kyrie Irving's comments over the weekend in that meeting Sure, making it sound like that he wants to uh, that him and a, a a a decent number. It's not a majority, but a decent number of NBA players are having real re- reservations about this Orlando plan, about mm-hmm. maybe interrupting the social protest that's going on. Um, don't they lose their bullhorn though if they if they don't play at some point? That that the idea that they have a better platform if if the NBA is going and in the spotlight every day. Yeah, listen, I, I don't think any of this um, 
any of the protesting, any of the fight for social justice is going anywhere this time. And I think it's important uh, for the players in the league that feel like this is important to them uh, to continue to use that bullhorn, Kevin. And I, and I think that's loudest when you're playing and it's loudest when it is, it's when you're on the podium, when you're on uh, doing your post-game interview on the floor, whatever it is um, that's when I think your message gets out best. Now, look, it sends a big message if the entire league decides to, you know, if all the players decide we're not playing and we're going out and doing this and we're protesting. I don't love the people that are questioning Kyrie Irving's, I shouldn't say the people or the idea of people who are questioning Kyrie Irving's intentions here just because I, I, I think in these times it's impossible to judge anybody's intention. Mm-hmm. You know, people are kind of working this out the way they feel is best for them. And there's going to be disagreements. Uh, the idea is they want to do something unified. They don't want to have some guys sitting out and some guys uh, there. So they need to work out a plan that's going to work for them if they are going to show up. Guys, here's how we're going to do it. Here's how we're going to uh, show our solidarity uh, before each and every game, after games, uh, what we're planning to do to try to help that along. Um, you know, it, it's unfortunate, but I just, I, I, I think they are, none of us have ever been in this situation. We, oh, no. We've never been direct, uh, directly affected by racism in any way. So with that being the case, I, I think that you have to respect what they feel is important to them. And if ultimately it's to not play, okay, I, if it were me, I look at how to get the message out, and I think your your bullhorn is at its best when you are playing. Yeah, and you know what the most amazing thing to me is? We sit and talk, and Kevin and I do this twice a week. It's so fluid that we're talking about situations that could change next week or could change two weeks from now. You know, there could be another shooting, God forbid, or there could be more pandemic. Well, look what happened in Atlanta over the weekend. Well, I that's know. the thing. Yeah. Uh, you know, Baltimore and Atlanta. And I, I think maybe some guys, maybe Kyrie's mind kind of changed then when you saw the incident with, with uh, the guy down in uh, the gentleman down in Atlanta. And it's yeah. anyway, you were but, saying. but, but no, and, and I think the one other part of this, I don't mind any NBA player who's saying, I don't want to play because honestly, beyond this, the protest angle, which is significant. You're asking guys that do you know, to live in a bubble for three and a half months. Mm-hmm. And that is a lot. I mean, that is what the NBA yeah. is trying to do here is a lot. And I get if anybody has reservations and wants to pull back that they do it. I think that if you're asking them to do this, um, and, and I get if you didn't love the visual too of, okay, here is a largely African-American league mm-hmm. being asked to basically be, you know, on shutdown, on lockdown to entertain a largely white audience. And I've heard that suggested not, okay, I, I, I get that. Does that look the best? It doesn't. But um, I also think that um, just as with baseball, I think it's impossible to ask these guys to, 
to do all this. I mean, I, I thought what John Harbaugh said the other day, about the NFL. It, you know, impossible to ask us to do what we're talking about doing here. Right. And that's a completely different situation with football. So they are trying so hard to make it work logistically. I think the NBA has done the best job uh, and the NHL has done the best job. Those two at trying to look at every plan, evaluating everyone and finding the one that's going to work for them. Uh, and you'll notice that, uh, the league made sure to let people know over the weekend that 14 of those 22 teams are going to be gone in a month and a half Yeah, are going to be right. gone in 50 days. So just, so the teams that are really fighting for a championship um, are the ones that are most motivated by this. And, and they will be the ones that, that ultimately uh, end up staying for the long term there. Mike. Yeah. The, vo- the voices in this to me, that matter are exactly what you, and I'm not knocking Kyrie could have perfectly legitimate concerns, reasons. And if, if, if Howard wants to, other people will, will second those, but until you get LeBron or, or Kawhi or players of that ilk, I guarantee if LeBron came out today and said what Kyrie said, they probably wouldn't play. Yeah. But, I, but, I think but, that's possible. Yeah, yeah. But that, I don't think that's going to happen. And I, that doesn't mean I think any less than LeBron or, you know, maybe he has a chance to win a title. But I just think until you get those voices, you know, from those teams that could win championships, you know, or, or if this two Sixer guys came out tomorrow, their two best players and said, hey, I agree with Kyrie, and I don't think that's going to happen. I, ju- I just don't see that happening. Although Embiid and Tobias Harris were both on that call. So that that's pretty significant from the Sixers' end of it. So. I, I yeah, but Tobias has been Tobias has been active. The, but yeah. I'm just saying, Kevin. Yeah. I don't think they would take the step of not playing. Well, that's I true guess too. That's what I mean. Yep. I, I think that they'll end up playing, and they'll end up trying to do some significant yes works yes. from a social justice standpoint. Which leads me to Colin Kaepernick. Last night, Roger Goodell on that Mike Greenberg special on ESPN uh, said he would welcome Colin Kaepernick back in the league, and even hinted that I don't know if I'm reading too much into it. That even if Kaepernick didn't get a playing job, which look he could be a backup somewhere in the league, I'm sure, um, that he would be he would be interested in having Kaepernick kind of on the NFL's advisory board or payroll to help with these type of issues. Do you think Roger Goodell is doing this because he's seen the light, or is he seeing a opportunity? The green, or yeah, or green? To be honest, <laughs> I hate saying it that way, but. His past I, actions will be that way. I think it's a couple of things. Um, from talking to different people uh, over the last month or two, uh, and we listen, we can all agree Roger Goodell has not handled himself well. Okay. And up until this time, I think he has uh, here the last few weeks. I think he's wanted to do more from a social standpoint, even before all of this started. But the players, or not the players, excuse me, the owners have held him back. So I suggested this on the show a couple of weeks ago. When they floated the idea of incentivizing teams to hire African-American and uh, GMs and And coaches. coaches. Right. Yeah. I think that you, um, I, I thought it was ridiculous. And I thought part of it, maybe he's trying to embarrass owners into just showing them how bad this has gotten that we actually have to talk about something like this. And then, uh, you know, when it came out uh, further last week, you know, his comments uh, on the video, I think he's, 
you know, if the owners are not, are not listening, he'll go and do that kind of a gesture because he may be down to it at this point. I do think he's trying to do the right thing here. Where it gets tricky is, um, and, and it's they've made this bed for themselves, right? Mm-hmm. If somebody signs Kaepernick, it's going to be, oh, they're just signing him to make it look good, you know? Well, you're damned if you do or you're damned if you don't here. If the guy shows in training camp he can't play, you have to do the right thing at that point. And if you want to bring him in and and help him um, help make him part of the league, that's a great idea. Somebody in the league told me the other day, we have thrown so much money at this problem that it's not just it can't just be all about that every mm-hmm. uh, you know every time. And what did they do? Two hundred fifty million the other day. Um, and I think that uh, it, it can't be about that anymore. These teams all have their community relations departments. We know how involved the Eagles are with the autism, mm-hmm. and everybody has their initiatives. Uh, not knocking other initiatives aside, this now has to become a position in every organization. Yeah. I think it has to become a, a part of it to really um, make sure that the work toward social equality continues inside the league, that you don't run into a situation like this again. And, I mean, what do we have, guys? Rich, old, white guys that own teams. And what that's that. That's what we have. And, Chris, what scares me is the idea that, uh, you know, look, I think there was a number of 12 of these guys, and not to get too political here, but 12 of these guys are fundraisers, have given money to the incumbent in the White House, okay? Sure. And that man is going to be pretty angry. He's already made it sound like he is going to use his bully pulpit of Twitter to, you know, bring up the national anthem and bring up the flag and, and the kneeling and all that. Will they stand up to that in the middle of a political season is going to be the fascinating thing when we get to September and October. I think they have no choice. I think they have to. And um, it, all right, if you want to talk about it from a dollars and cents standpoint, what's more important? If, if you're not going to stand up to it, your league is going to revolt, and they should. And you potentially, I mean, do you want players deciding they're not playing? In the middle of the year, how, how losing money like that? Absolutely but, not. But, but, I think they stand to lose a lot more uh, in social standing and among their players if they don't stand up to it. And if they, I agree. You know, I agree with everything you said, but i I can't see Jerry Jones voluntarily giving in. I just can't. I know. I, I and that's why. Like, where is Jerry Jones? By the way, he's we disappeared. From he's him. on the yacht. Yeah, we we have not heard one word from Jerry Jones since any of this has happened. Um, and it, it, listen, I understand some people are taking their time and trying to put something together carefully and considering everything. Uh, all I can tell you is I think that the league, if they don't do the right thing here, just because it's the right thing and, and not necessarily think of all those dollars and cents, even though we know ultimately that's what they're going to be thinking about. Uh, if, if my point is, if the president is going to um, go down that road again, how much money is the league really going to lose? Do we? Is anybody going to stop watching? Well, and I, I, I don't think it's going to be like baseball right now, where people are stopping or could potentially stop watching just because out of greed from that standpoint. And I think 
I think people will be there every Sunday in the fall. I think also the response may depend. I hate saying it this way. It may depend on what the president's poll numbers are going to be and whether these owners believe, you know, it's a little bit of an, uh, an educated bet here of whether these owners believe this, this administration is going to be in office beyond next January. Well, I guess what I would, if we're, if we're going to boil it down to the money, I would ask this question. Uh-huh. Where do you lose more money? If, if it really stupidly comes down to that, where do you lose more money with people that don't agree with your stance um, and uh, are then not going to spend their money on the league right. or with not having games at all? That's because question. I could absolutely see a scenario a walk where if that happened, Wildcats players down. would walk out the door. Yeah, that's a, that's a, yeah, but, but this isn't going to be just an NFL problem. No, this is going to be across the board. This is going to be, I mean, I can see if baseball came back, especially NBA, there's got to be players who are going to kneel, wear Black Lives Matter t-shirts. I mean, we've sort of seen that before. Mm -hmm. So is Trump going to come out against those sports too? I I mean, because it's going to become universal now. This is no longer just an NFL issue um, we've seen the Confederate flag go in NASCAR. Um, this is going to get dicey on a lot of different levels than NFL See, Sundays. But I, I, I agree, but I, I don't think it's going to be dicey as much as it might have been before because I do okay. think there okay. is a truism mm-hmm. behind this now, a real um, effect, you know, that... But why did the president... But why did he come out then immediately... Like three seconds after Goodell said that, yeah, and all he's been doing now is tweeting about how it's because uh, he's trying to score political know, points. I, yeah, right. I, and I have to tell you, I mean, I'm not even thinking about it from a political standpoint right. with him. Yeah, and I know what you're saying. What I'm saying is that this—it's an economic um, issue. This movement itself, it, it, and I hate to say it, um, because I don't want to put the cart in front of the horse. It feels different. Yeah. It yeah. feels different, and it doesn't. It feels like it's not going anywhere. And I yeah. think that the majority is starting to think um, the right way. I, I just think of it as right and wrong. Are we equal or are we not? And that's mm-hmm. not political. That's right and wrong. And I think the majority of people are really starting to hopefully realize that, yeah, we're supposed to be equal. And and here's the thing, guys. Like. I am by no way a sociologist or or understand any of what African-American people have been through for the hundreds of years. But if we listen to the biases that have been against them, and if you just listen and you just reverse the roles for a second, wouldn't you be pissed off? Oh, absolutely. I mean, if if anybody can just put themselves, that's the only thing I would ever say. Just put yourself in their position for a minute. But there is white entitlement. And oh, there's we, no question. We go through our lives. I never think about it because I grew up in I, white entitlement. I, I have it every day. There's no doubt. And and I, it's funny. The last few weeks, Chris, I've been talking. Yeah, whatever. You just talk to people. Yeah, yeah. And I'm amazed at some of the things I have heard from people who I view as good people. You yeah. know, not bad people. And they'll say things, and I'll look at them like um, the other guy. So the other day, somebody was saying to me that the guy in NASCAR, the driver is yeah. a light-skinned black person. So that's different. Because, And I said, I looked at him, I said, so he's less black because he's light-skinned? And he was trying to explain this to me. And I'm thinking, like, no. no. Like, no, no, no. 
But I think that the problem is it's the un, it's not the outright blatant rate racism. It's that underlying racism Over. that we yeah. don't even think Over. is racism. Guys, That's like, the guys, problem. I don't know about you guys. I, I have been thinking for the last few weeks about the times where uh, you don't do something. You don't say something. You don't, you know, you, you, we all know people who are just, oh, that's just him being an idiot or whatever. Yeah. And by staying silent in it, you're complicit to a degree. And yeah. I never really considered it like that. You are so, absolutely correct. I've been thinking it, the same thing. And it, and it bothers me. And, and yep. I, trust me, I am in no way uh, trying to paint myself as this incredibly enlightened individual. I'm just trying to really consider, really listen, really think. I've always considered, here's what I'm saying. I've always considered myself somebody that's, you know, for equality, believe in all of it. Mm -hmm. But when maybe I thought I got it before, I I didn't really get it, you know? And hopefully now I'm starting to get educated even more by just listening to people Mm -hmm. talk. Kevin, what did you tell me like a week or two ago when all this was starting out? We oh, got to listen. Yeah, we got to listen. Your, I mean, that was your thing, and you are 150% right. Well, and, and again, and Chris doesn't notice. My dad was a police officer in Philadelphia for, for 20 years. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I saw what the toll of the job was. So I know that portion of it. But I also have, you could see it in just what has happened that there has to be something to address whatever issues go on with the police there has to be something to address and eliminate that portion of it that it makes it better for the mental health of police officers and for the safety of the black community that there's there's got to be some there's got to be some method found here that's my own opinion and and i i I didn't i don't want to go too far down that road but that's just the way it has to be where you have to find a better way of doing it and just listening is the main thing you think you think there should be a meeting of the minds, Kevin? That's yes. basically what you're you're trying to say. Wait, and there's can nothing I get, wrong with can that. I get to a happier note, with Chris? Okay, a couple yeah. of things here. Well, I think happier. Well, <laughs> we'll find out when I ask the questions. Mm. Um, one, what, reflect on your time in Philly. What was it like for you as somebody who? I mean, you didn't grow up here, but you, you actually no. got real good acceptance for a town that can be very provincial <laughs> in a lot of ways. Uh, yeah, I, I, um, I, I, I just. I loved it. I loved every minute of it. And, you know, when I first thought about going, it was, uh, you know, late um, 2016. Uh, I thought this is going to be kind of a neat challenge, but I knew it was a tough town. But you you know how it is. You know what the reputation is outside of it. And um, I, I just went in and I didn't try to pretend that I was from there, pretend that I was you know, Philly guy or any, anything like that. And I just, I couldn't get enough. I couldn't get enough of the, fa- and I don't want to sound like I'm a kiss ass here, but like I couldn't get over the fact that the most popular guy in town was the long snapper. You know, John John everybody loved John Doran boss. <laughs> and meanwhile, in, 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 and it's not a knock on New York. It's just different, right? It's just different. Nobody could pick the Jets long snapper out of a lineup. You know, (laughs) like there is a deeper meaning to go birds that people outside of Philadelphia don't understand. I, um, 
I, I just really enjoyed the hell out of it. Um, people were very good to me. Um, I tried to go in and be as authentic as I could. And I tried to, I, my first day, I kind of looked at me like it, it was after the Giants played the Eagles in Peterson's first year. And it was up in at MetLife and he had, made some really questionable calls going Went forward on fourth and fourth and seven, like from the, yeah, the 42. Yeah. And, I, yeah. and I just walked in the door and, and we're doing the show at Chickies and pizza day. And I said, what the hell is this guy doing? Right. <laughs> and everybody's looking at me like, you sure you want to go down this road? It's just, I wasn't being over the top or anything. I just, I, I really enjoy what that city is and what it means to people. Um, and really the family ties of it more than anything else. I was fortunate enough um, that I was able to get two tickets to the Super Bowl for a friend of mine who's a, a South Jersey guy. And he and his father um, got to go. And just seeing what that uh, meant to them to go to the Super Bowl uh, was amazing and you know, being at being at uh, the link for for I don't know four or five games uh, during the season, I, I loved it. I loved going to the Phillies games too. The mm-hmm. Sixers, I I was into it. I I don't know. I just I think the town is unlike any other, um, and I still I still actually live relatively close. I right, live right over the border uh, in Jersey and in in uh, uh, you know in Lawrenceville. So, and, right, uh, you know. We back and forth of why, um, you know, whether or not I was going to move back up. But um, well, your wife works at Rutgers, right? She did at the time. She okay. does not anymore. Okay. But I, I, um, it's so funny. I, you know, like I think about it, and the they had told me before I left New York, mm-hmm. the the folks that were at CBS Radio at the time, like, hey, if you're that owns WIP you're going, we're not bringing you back. This is not anything to do with right. anything that might happen in the future. I said, no, I, I know I'm, I want to go do this. I want to, I was planning on that being the rest of my career and I was good with that. Mm-hmm. And then the phone call came a year later from the same person who told me he wasn't bringing me back. And I, I really went back and forth on it because I was enjoying it so much. And I just said, it's New York, it's home. And if, this call uh, never comes again. Can you live with yourself? And the answer was no. I'll ask the, I'll ask the obvious follow-up. Yeah. You went back, at, for people who don't know, uh, Chris went back as part of the crew that was going to replace Mike Francesa when Mike retired. And then four months later, Mike decided to unretire. And you got pushed to mid-days. Mm-hmm. Um, if you had the DeLorean, would you have gone back to to, to IP. Oh, if I, if I knew that was what was going to happen. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I would have stayed and I would, and I would still be there. Um, and it, it's again, not, an, I, I would not have moved, put it this way. I would not have gone back to New York to do one to three. Okay. I, I would not have done that. That was not the goal. This was afternoon drive in New York city period. And, uh, and an iconic spot and a place that I worked on and I knew what it could be when it was at its best. And it's, to me, it was the ultimate, ultimate challenge uh, of my career. But if it was one to three, no, I would not have gone back. Now, um, you know, that's hindsight is twenty twenty, right? Sure. Um, 
in in since I would say it's worked out okay. You know, um, working with Bart and Maggie was phenomenal. They're mm-hmm. great people. Uh, I got cut loose in September. Uh, my contract was was up. They had an option on me for this year, and they didn't pick it up. And I kind of had an idea that it was coming, uh, just based on finances more than anything else. And uh, Entercom had bought the station in between, correct? Yeah, like Entercom had actually bought. Um, had merged with CBS radio while I was in Philadelphia, Philadelphia. but it wasn't complete until really right when I got to New York. Um, So um, yeah, I don't blame anybody from Entercom, whatever. Ultimately Mike coming back, Mike made that decision. Entercom made that decision. Um, We uh, lost our first ratings book by a 10th of a point to the other station, mm-hmm. you know, and, and to me, like it, you, you have to understand it's going to take time, but they also, um, are in a position there where they, um, have a proven commodity coming back with Mike. Okay. This is what you want to do. It's what you want to do. But, um, the fact that I ended up at ESPN out of it, yeah, um, was great because ESPN has been a tremendous environment for, for me to be in. Um, can, can I ask, let me, let me ask one more thing. It was, sure. uh, and if you don't feel comfortable answering, I understand. Go ahead. I've, I've had okay. It was pretty publicized, the blow up or the, the, the bad feelings that were there when Mike mm-hmm. came back between you and him, have you mm-hmm. and Mike spoken since then? And do you think that relationship could ever be repaired? Given that you were his producer for such a long time, and it was believe. I mean, the belief was you guys were all pretty close. Well, have, have we spoken since when? We we spoke when he first came back. Yeah. Um, H- has the air been cleared? I guess is the better question. Um, we haven't spoken in well over a year. Okay. Um, and no, no, I wouldn't say the air has been cleared. When he came back, I was trying to be the right, um, was trying to do the right thing. Right. And I went in and I had a conversation with him and, uh, you know, um, I had sent a text message that was unfortunate, uh, but we all did do some, but you know what? I'm from New Jersey. Sometimes yeah. your emotions get the best of you. Uh, but other than that, uh, I am, I'm proud of how I handled it. And I think in a case or two in those uh, situations, I went above and beyond to try to make it work and it didn't work. Um, as far as he and I, listen, relationships are what they are. And it, it's, I, I don't think it's something that it's not something that I'm actively looking to go and uh, okay. make better because you, you either ultimately want to be or not. And I, I don't think that um, it really stems from years and years ago when he thought that I leaked something to the newspapers. Uh, this is 2010 uh, about a story about um, he and I having a blow up on the air, which we had had hundreds of times when right. I was producing his show. And even in 2010, I was over at SNY. Um, so I didn't think much of it and I didn't leak anything to the paper. I'm not that guy, but he didn't, believe me. So the, the blood was not good. Uh, since then he chose not to believe me. We had conversations about it, but, uh, I would just say that, um, 
at this point, um, I'm 47 and it's like, you, you have the people in your life that are important to you and that you feel like make you uh, a better person. And this is what it is now. So we're not, um, we haven't really spoken, but it's not like I'm going to sit here and actively have bad will about it because, you know, I, I, I was angry for a while about getting fired, but mm-hmm. ultimately how does that serve you? You know, it, it doesn't. And, and it was sapping up too much of my energy. And I, I actually went and talked to, um, had a discussion with my boss who I had known for 20 years who had brought us back. Mark Chernoff. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Mark and, and Mark's, Mark's a friend. And he was the one who, um, let me go not by, I, you know, I, I don't know if it was his choice or what it was, but he was the one who felt like he had to do it since he was the one who brought me there. And we had it out, uh, and not like in a fighting way, but in a like, hey, here's what I'm feeling kind of way. And I came out of it feeling like, okay, it's time to move on from that. That was several months ago before the coronavirus hit. So um, I, I feel much better about it, and I can look back at it now and say, um, I made a move. It didn't work out, and now I'm in a, a, a good situation for me. The I feel I, like I've been going on and on about it. No, but no, it, no. It does conjure up a lot of thoughts. No, and, I, and that's why I asked. You didn't have to talk about it, and I appreciate it. The idea that you were on, though, the signature sports talk show as a producer for ages, mm-hmm. how much – can you describe what that feeling was like being around in that bu- – I hate using the term in that bubble – but yeah. when that was going, what that was like, it was mind blowing. Um, because I was for the guy that, you know, I was delivering for a, a drugstore uh, when I was in high school and college, and they started uh, right before I graduated high school. So I was listening to them all day, and here I was, you know, in uh, at twenty four years old producing that show. It was, are you kidding me? Um, going to Super Bowls, going to. NBA finals, um, incredible experiences and, and seeing the impact that the show could really have at the time. Um, I don't know that I could ever fully describe it. It it was amazing. And I really think that, uh, I'm so thankful to have had that chance for a year, seven and a half. It was 97 to early 2004. So, okay. Whatever the math is, there's seven years. Um, I just, uh, wow. And Mike and Chris, listen, anybody can say what they want. They're the best to ever do it together. Mm-hmm. They, they are absolutely the best to ever do it together. And there's, there's no getting around that. And to be part of that was, um, remarkable. Mike. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, the, I was going to ask you, what is Chris like? I, I kind of get a feeling. I know what Mike's like. Yeah. Um, and I listened religiously pretty much for a lot of those years. Um, is Chris, I actually like Chris when he was on by himself. So I used yeah, to Chris, listen to him, my God, 30 years ago when I think he was just doing weekends and stuff. He did weekends and I said, on Who was this nut? Um, but he kind of, but he kind of grew on me, you know? And then, yeah, I mean, Chris is exactly what he is on the air. Exactly what he is on the air. He loves to have fun with you to stick it to you when things are not going right. Um, uh, you know, he, he just, Oh God, he loves to get on you, but he's so funny. And I used to always, whenever people would ask me that question about them, uh, I would always say that 
Uh, people always thought that Mike was the more knowledgeable and Chris was the more passionate. But Chris is an encyclopedia. Mm-hmm. And Mike has passion for stuff uh, just on that same level. Uh, when they were on that same level um, during those times, it was amazing to watch. But Chris Chris is a, a, a tremendous guy. He and I got get mad at each other all the time over things. You know, I texted him last week because um, – he said, you know, he was killing Tony Clark and he said, you know, why don't they go to hell? And I, and I tweeted out, all right, can we, can we dial it back on the go to hell when we're taking a check from major league baseball, yes. <laughs> you know, and he's always been kind of an owner's guy anyway, but, and I know Chris and I know that he, he's not that guy, but go to hell, I thought was a bit much. So, you know, we'll start texting back and forth. He'll screaming at each other, but it's over in five minutes. We, we did have it out quite a bit when he was getting on us about the show. I, we had enough um, uh, pressure on us. I didn't make, uh, need him making comments when he, when he is a good friend. But, you know, Chris is a guy that I, uh, you know, he's, he's insane, but in an incredibly smart I, way. I don't think anybody in the media – I've always felt really weird about this. Should make comments about other people in the media, especially when it's the same media. Like I would never sit there and go. That's half there my gig there, Kerm. Watch out. So, <laughs> no, but I'm just saying. I've had people ask me like, "Well, why don't you talk about this thing or that thing?" And I'm like, "Because I don't really feel comfortable talking about a colleague." No, um, I, I because get it. they could turn around and talk about me. Yeah, you know, and it's I, I just don't think it's right. You know, Chris had his time. Your time was great. You know, whatever they're doing now, that's that's their thing. Let them do it. Well, see, I, 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 I'll disagree with you just from this standpoint. If what I do for a living is to criticize athletes. Mm-hmm. That's true. Okay. Why am yeah. I not open to being Criticism. criticized? Yeah. I'm cool with that. Right. Um, now, with Chris and I, I had more of an issue that we have this personal relationship, and he's talking about how, you know, Bart at the time is not qualified to be doing a talk show. And right. I'm sitting there watching a guy who's busting his ass every day mm-hmm. to get better. And, and, and he never did. made any bones about what he was. So um, that was just more of like, hey, you know what? Help me out here a little bit. But at the same time, hey, I, I got no problem with being criticized because that's what I do. And the Russo rants were incredible. Oh, oh it, it, my favorite was the day after Mikey, the Re- Mikey, 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 oh, Mikey, yeah. Mikey. <laughs> My favorite was the day after the Red Sox came back and beat the Yankees. Chris, you may have moved on from there. <laughs> His opening was all time. Like, I, you know, I know the Giants one time rant has always gotten like a lot of play. But the one yeah. when the Red Sox beat the Yankees to go to the World Series in 04 and the pure joy on his face and rubbing it in Mike's face is still oh. one of the all-timers to me. Yeah, and, um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> like he could not get enough, especially after the two, after what happened in 03 with Brady oh, Little and absolutely. all that stuff. And that, what a disaster that was. So, um, But he's, uh, that was an all-timer. Oh, yeah, and o- I know, too, when his Giants blew it. Yeah. Oh, that was. 03, well, 03 against the Marlins. Yeah, it was 03 against the Marlins, and. I, it was amazing. Yeah, right, but O two, the Giants had the Rangers beat, right? Or no, the Angels? The beat. Angels beat. Yeah, and oh, yeah. he blew it, and that yep. would have been he had to wait eight more years. Yep, yep. And uh, you know, he uh, he finally got it. But uh, but I, I um, that's the thing about Chris. 
who he is on the air is exactly who he is off the air. And it can be exhausting. <laughs> I, can, I can imagine. But it is so entertaining. I can't he, imagine working for two people with that personality. I really couldn't. It, you know what, though? Like, it, it, listen. Did it I was have awesome. a hair before I took the job? I absolutely did. I saw I'm the not thir- joking. Like, I saw the 30 for 30. That was a big part of it. <laughs> I saw the 30 for 30. I saw that. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but I also, um, yeah, I wouldn't trade that experience for anything. Chris Carlin from ESPN Radio in New York uh, and uh, formerly of WIP and formerly of WFAN and formerly of SMY and also the Rutgers Pipe Up. Man, you got a lot of jobs. Yeah. <laughs> Chris, I've had a lot of jobs. Chris, I know I, I, I've been asking you to come. I asked you to come back on in the fall, and then obviously everything going on here. I am thrilled that you came on. I appreciate Anytime. you taking time. Anytime, guys. And and the thing is, you know, Kev, you're, you, you were always good with me there, and 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 Mike, I appreciate it. Um, I, I just I, I love Philadelphia so much. I really do. And uh, my wife and I are still like where we live now kind of take it we're closer to philly than we are to new york we're only 35 minutes away so i mm-hmm. we try to get down there and it's where my wife works. is always going to have a spot in my heart that's where my wife worked up in lawrenceville so for a while oh yeah 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 that's great we like it living out here it's been good yeah, it's been really yeah good. lawrenceville's nice lawrenceville's very it's, nice it is i mean listen it's no princeton but you know. <laughs> well, come on let's put, let's let's put the brakes on some things hey here. we hey we live in row homes in northeast philly yeah, so, so we don't yeah we're 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 in the row home class chris thanks a lot i appreciate it man be well thanks Stay good. you too yep Take thanks care. Chris Carlin, and we'll be back right after this. Looking to reach the sports fans of Philadelphia in a brand new way? This is Kevin Cooney. Each week, the Work It To Be podcast with Mike Kern and I brings the hottest topics into this sports crazed town with the people and the events that shape the landscape. Now, your business could connect with those people by advertising on the Work It To Be podcast. Join us at 267-546-7277 or email us at workingthebeat at gmail.com to find out how you can reach out to this growing audience. It's the best sports talk in Philadelphia, and you can be a part of it. That's 267-546-7277 or workingthebeat at gmail.com to join the Work in the Beat podcast family. And we're back here on Work in the Beat. Our thanks to Chris Carlin for joining us Um that Chris was, was very good. That was very good. And uh, touched on a lot of issues there over the last hour. Um, and I got, I got to be honest with you, Kevin, when he was here, and I think we talked about this. Um, I just had, I, I, you know, when people come from out of the city, mm-hmm. um, and that's why we're provincial, I, I have a hard time. And I like Chris when, when I listen to him on the panel. I thought it was a very tough situation for him, and I think he handled it pretty well, uh, all things considered. And it seems like listening to him talk, he's gotten a few – bum steers along the way, you know, and that happens. And uh, I didn't realize the situation with him and Mike was that, you know, contentious or whatever. Um, but he's a survivor, it seems well, like. And, and, you, and you and I have talked. That's a good thing. You and I have talked about this in the past. Frances is not an easy person, it looks like, to work for. You think? I'm just going on a limb there. I you know what, Girardi, Girardi, it's funny because I like listening to Mike. Yeah. I, I just thought. He was I used to like but listening Girardi to Mike. called him a blowhard. And. He's not wrong. He he is. I mean, but that's what made him him. Um, and I guess you either like it or you don't like it or or whatever. Um, Mike is lo- yeah. Mike has lost his fastball. Mike Mike. Well, he's he's, he's old. I mean, c- yeah. come on, he's like he's older than me. Or is, Mike, I mean, Mike is not what Mike used to be. At like last night, Mike 
Mike started the show, and I'll give you an example. The six o'clock. What's show, he do? What's he do? A half hour now? He does an or hour. An hour. He does an hour. Uh, does an hour on the app and an hour on uh, FAN uh, okay. after uh, Summers and uh, Evans and uh, uh, not Summers, Evans and uh, Beningo. Joe Beningo, who I actually like that duo, by the way. But um, but he did a he let off the six o'clock hour when it gets simulcast on FAN with talking about the PGA tour. And at that point, with all due respect to the PGA, like yeah, the, biggest, the biggest story of the night is Rob Manfred and what Manfred said. And right. he didn't talk about it for 15, 20 minutes. And it's like, so, so why was the PGA tour important? Oh, no, just, it was a live back? event. And no, it was great theater to watch. And it was what Mike wanted to talk about. It was, yeah, I, I, and yeah, I could hear, he, here's the problem, Kevin. Mike became so big. And rightfully so. He he made himself what he was, that he could dictate everything. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's just, that happens sometimes. You know, it's not his fault. And then when he left and everybody, I think he left twice, if I'm not mistaken. And, and, you know, but he's going to, and and his ratings are such that if he goes to FAN and says, I want to do this, they're going to say sure. And so, you know, Chris got blown up, Um, you know, and then Bart wound up going to ESPN. And I think Maggie's got another partner now. Um, but Hey, you know, life goes on. Chris seems like he's doing it fine. Yeah. So, and that, that good for him. I'll tell you what, that seven o'clock spot that, uh, that he has now is pretty good because you get a lot of instant reactions after games and all that. You can, yeah, you can, but drive time, New York, Kevin, oh, it's is financial. It it's any, the same. Even drive time Philly. I mean, you look at, you know, what Mizzanelli's got and what, you know, uh, Ike and, and John have one. I mean, that's the, that's the time slot. You you know, it's the morning time yeah. slot, right? Yeah. And the afternoon drive time slot. They're the two time slots that that the stations care about. Nobody surges. Um, nobody surges for middays. Everybody wants to go drive yeah, be, time because nobody's in cars. Right. That's you know, it, it's all about car driven people. You know, in a, it, driving for an hour and a half, and they got nothing else to do, and they call, they listen, and they call. All right, you mentioned Missinelli, so you know. I obviously, you know, Mike. We we know Mike. Uh, you know, you know him a lot better because you work with him for a long time. Yeah, I mean, Mike. Uh, I think Mike's misunderstood in a lot of ways. Would you agree? Uh, in what respect? Mike is very smart. Mike is very passionate. We saw a couple weeks ago. Mike's passion can sometimes boil over, but I, every time I've dealt with Mike. I think Mike deep down is a really good guy. I I agree with you. Um Mike has a problem which he acknowledged in the um in the apology. In his when he come back, he's got a temper problem. Yeah. I, I mean anybody that knows Mike knows this. It goes back and I don't know if Mike's ever talked to people about it if he just lives with it if he's you know if it's his Italian blood. I mean now I'm being stereotypical and prejudiced. That's, but that's what but he that, said. We us didn't know Mike you know, I've played basketball with him at the Plester for years. I, I mean, there was an incident at IP many years ago that got him in trouble, mm-hmm. uh, obviously. Um, that's Mike. I mean, it doesn't necessarily make it right. I think if Mike looked at what he did a couple weeks ago, yeah, it's stupid. It's it's whatever. But, um, you know, all these guys, most of these guys on the radio, they have egos. That's what makes them the, those guys. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Mike, for whatever reason, lost it. I don't know. Maybe he'd been on the air for two months without sports. Who knows? Um, yeah. but you know, if, 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 if Nat and Ty are okay with it and they've apologized and they've made up, I just, you know, you just keep 
hoping there's not the next incident. Well, yeah, you know, because and there's the next a certain one point. Could be the last one. Yeah, I was just going to say there's a certain point where you don't excuse it anymore. But well, some people might have thought he was at that point. I I I, I don't know. Um, I mean, I always tend to give people the benefit of the doubt. I know sometimes with and, radio and, stations and TV stations, they don't always do that, right? Well, it like, depends it, on what your HR standards are. I mean, if right, you have an HR right, department right. that has a zero tolerance, then yeah, they're going to be more likely to, to pull the... I guess the point I'm saying is that, you know, I know what you're saying about not criticizing us in the media, but I think all of us in the media also have an understanding that we've all had that day. Not everybody's right. had a camera in front of us right. when that's happened. Well, that was, see, that's the difference between like, if something had happened off camera, it, then, then it's not as big a deal in the sense that you don't have a video of it. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just like what happened in Minneapolis. I'm not equating the two, but there's no. a video of it. Right. You, you know, if somebody was trying video to explain changes what happened, everything. So when you see Mike doing that or whatever happened, um, yeah, it's, it's right there in front of you. But, like, I think your opening thing was correct. I think Mike is basically a nice guy. I don't think he's a bad guy. I don't think he means, you know, bad things. I, I think he's smart, obviously. He's a lawyer. Um, um, you know, I, I, I respect Mike. I respect Mike. I don't always agree. I don't always – I actually – this is going to sound funny, Kevin. I agree with a lot of stances Mike takes. Yeah. Um, as opposed to some of the other guys who are on the radio. I think Mike tends to be pretty realistic about things. I've been listening a lot during this pandemic stuff and where some other guys are going like a little bit off the, the rails. Mike has been pretty, you know, consistently Straight. steady. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you just look. You hope. I think they have a good mix on that show. I like Tyrone. I like Tyrone uh, a lot. I, I like Natalie personally. I've known yeah, Natalie I mean, since she was working uh, as an intern at, at, at IP. Um, you know, I'm, I mean, I like I like Anthony and and, and, and uh, Shaltunis, um, uh, and, Andrew and in I should, the afternoon. And I should point uh, out, and I should point out, I, I you know, I know John Marks. John did a lot of Phillies. Uh, John also was Jack McCaffrey's producer, I believe, on the weekends at ninety-seven five. John's a good guy. Uh, I've you know, obviously, we all kind of know like from our Comcast days. Uh, Angelo has been awesome. So yeah, there's a lot of good people. I think the the idea is that when something happens in the media, it gets blown out of perspective, uh, pr yeah. proportion. I, if you're a media member, yeah, I think what I meant when I said to Chris about about, I just don't think like in in let's say okay you're 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 the mad dog, mm -hmm. and now you're not on anymore. You you've gone on. You're making millions of dollars. That's serious. Doing what you're doing now, and it was your decision. Yeah. Then if FAN comes on and decides they're going to have Chris and Maggie and Bart. I don't think he has the right to criticize that. That's my opinion. Um, just I'm shut public. your mouth. Yeah, unless public. they say something about you, you know, what right does Chris Russo have to come on and say, well, that show, Bart's no good. Yeah, yeah. It, that's what I meant. That, that's what I kind of meant. Like, I don't think it would have been fair for Francesa after he retired, let's say, to say something. Well, I don't think that show is good. If, if something happens on Mike's show and you and I want to comment, that's I think that's different. Different. Yeah. I just don't like going down. Like we had some viewers, um, some of our listeners that were tweeting out or, or whatever, say, "Oh, you guys never comment on an amazing only thing." And I'm like, "Well, what do you want me to say? You know, you know, what do you what do you want me to say? Mike oh. lost his mind for thirty seconds. Um, 
okay, yeah, you. Well, that's why I actually. Shot. That's why I actually brought this up. Right, but I don't <laughs> so think it's my it. right to go on and say, no, I hear "Oh, you. Mike's a bad guy; he should be fired." You know, because I don't know that business. I don't know what happened. I don't know what led to that. I mean, I think I do, but I don't know for sure. And I just think sometimes, although I will say this, it, it is sometimes fair game. I know when I worked at the paper. There was times when it was fair game for those guys to take shots at us. Oh yeah, that I thought was a little unfair. One, like, and it was one time with Mike. It was a long, long, long time ago. But I mean, I was supposed to go to Argentina to do a story on Pepe Sanchez. Mm-hmm. Had the airplane tickets, had the whole thing. We're gone, and then Pepe's schedule changed because he was in the Olympics or, or something. I don't know. So I couldn't go, and I wound up doing this the story by phone with him. And we got pictures. And then so the next day the story comes out. I thought it turned out pretty good considering. And Mike was on the radio saying, oh, well, you know, Mike didn't even go to Argentina. I'm like, yo, Mike, how about you call me and ask me, you know, why I didn't go to Argentina? And then I put, it's a minor thing. But I think sometimes I'll hear guys, what's the favorite line? Well, they didn't ask the tough questions in the press conference. Yo, then you go to the press conference Mm -hmm. and ask the tough question. I, I, I hate that. And even sometimes... As much as I like Angelo, sometimes you, you even get a little bit of that. You know, well, they didn't ask. Les Bowen didn't ask this. Well, hey, you know what? Then you go to the press conference and you ask the question you want Les to ask. I think the people in the media take unfairly sometimes those kind of shots. And we have no – who's going to win those arguments? You and I aren't going to win. I the always, guy on the radio is going to get the last word. I always love people who always said we were so soft. I'm like, you know, one, come, in, come into the room where we're sitting. And kind of right. along the same line. I, and then my second point would be, go ask Pete McCannon if I was soft on him, or Charlie Manuel, or Ryan Sandberg, or even Jay right. Wright. I mean, you know, there's a point of, I'm not asking the question you want to ask because that's not professional. There's a professional right. aspect of, you can ask a question a different way and mm-hmm. try to get an answer that sheds light as opposed to just generate heat. And, Kevin, you know this because we've been in mass press, and I, I'm going to talk more from a Villanova standpoint now, mm-hmm. where we would be with Jay Wright and there would be 15 people there. There's going to be soft questions. Yeah. I mean, you know, not and, and granted, college basketball is different than covering the Eagles on a weekly basis or the sure. Phillies on a nightly basis. I get that. But, you know, you can't just go in there and the first question can't be, uh, you know, hey, Doug, you, you know, you went for it in fourth and three, and I think it was a stupid call. You know, I mean, granted, we, we all, you know, in a perfect world, if it was just you and Doug in a room, Doug, maybe you yeah. could get away with that. You know, you do that. But I just think it's it's a lot easier for people on the radio to criticize us than it is for us to criticize them. That That's, I guess, what I was trying. I just think if, if Chris Russo wasn't happy with what was happening on the fan Shut up. Yeah. You know, you got your gig. You do your gig. You made your money and, and mm-hmm. let them do their thing. You know, that's. Let, now, Phil, Phil Muschak wants to criticize him. That's his job. Right. Wow. Yeah. Well, you know what I'm saying, though. I mean, that's a, a media which, guy which leads, whose job it is to criticize the media. Which leads to this and back to baseball. Uh, in the middle of all this, and we all know how this business works, okay? And we know how information is selectively late leaked in a lot of ways and and all that in the middle of crying poverty before you ask me this did you have a guy who leaks did you have a person who would leak leak stuff to you yes okay good okay now i'm just curious i I had 
I had a guy who I would turn to to confirm more than to to more than getting like the direct leak. I would get the okay. I had the confirm guy leak. You know, like the, the okay the guy who but you like, didn't have a guy you didn't have a guy who would like call you at seven o'clock on a Tuesday and say, "Hey, Kevin, no, um, uh, no. yeah, this is this is okay, okay, no, I mean." Look, I, and I'm not gonna. I'm gonna say this directly. I wasn't traveling with the team like sure, no sure, like I know, I get like it. Zalecki and Salisbury and all that. I mean, and that's not an excuse. Those guys are awesome. They all have their. But do you think? Do you think those guys had those guys? Oh, I, I, I'm certain there was. They there are people who give, uh, and I don't mean like give. They've worked hard to get that information. Sure, sure, I got you. Um, that there's a trust factor in everything involved. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. So, you know, I, I, I'm certain, you know, they all have people who are telling them what's going on. Yes, I do. Um, okay. But, all right, so back on this story, baseball in the middle of trying to cry poverty signs a $1 billion deal with Turner to for just the postseason rights, basically. Uh, one LCS and a couple division rounds, like kind of like the structure it is now. Um, and this leaks out, and this is what I believe caused all the the, the headache over the weekend, uh, and what what has led to the snowball. Um, it just shows what kind of a, a Keystone Cops organization it really is over there right now. It's just awful. Am I wrong? Well, I think when you sign a million a billion dollar contract, it can't be two Keystone Cops. I mean, I hear what you're saying. You don't leak it um, now. But these guys are getting richer every day. It, it, they, they can they can be whatever they want to be. Um, and I don't think they really care. Like, I don't think John Middleton cares what we think of John Middleton. And nor should he. I mean, you know, he's got his life. It's a great life. He's, do, you know, whatever. Um, I, I, I get a little, Kevin, I, I think what's bothering me is, so people are sort of taking sides now. I'm trying not to take sides, but I, this notion that baseball players are, are are should just play for the love of the game and they owe the game and they owe us and no like what like so we're saying they're different than us because they make a lot of money and maybe that is part of it, but they feel like they've been wrong. They got screwed in the 16 CBA apparently yep. from everything I'm hearing. And they're upset, and they 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 reached this agreement in March that we're going to get paid 100 percent of our prorated money or whatever it is, and and now the owners like no, and then and then the owners. So if, if I'm going to come down on anybody on this, and I'm not really trying to, I come down on the player side that they can do whatever the hell they want to do, but I'm not even worried. This year, Kevin doesn't really bother me. I mean, it does. I'm going to have hockey it's, at some point. I'm going to have basketball. I well, think at think. some point. I'm going to have the NFL at some point. I think, um, and it, 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 I don't want a 50-game season anyway. To be quite honest with you, I, I, I like Chris's kind of thing that maybe you have a Jackie Robinson tournament uh, or whatever, however you want to label it. I'm worried about next year and beyond because I'm telling you, and you've been telling me this for a while now, I'm not sure we, we're not going to have a long work stoppage when the virus isn't here anymore. It is right now. I would almost say it's worse than it was in 94. And because the 
the underlying economics in 94. Because you've had, you've had 25 more years of animosity. Well, it's not just that. It's the underlying economic metrics in 94. Uh, the economy was booming. Um, yeah, right. You didn't have the pandemic. Right. Relative peace in the, in the country. Um, you know, yeah. there, there was a bit of a culture war at that point and all that. Now you're entering this into a, a perfect storm of pandemic, almost depression level era, uh, depression level era uh, unemployment, uh, less disposable income, uh, a political culture battle going on right now. Um, mm-hmm. It is far Kevin, worse let me, let me ask you something. In the other sports, NHL, NBA, NFL. Mm-hmm. Do the owners have to open up their books? Well, there's a revenue sharing play in the NFL. So, yeah, okay. there is a there is a measure to check that. And in a okay. certain to a certain degree, they have to open the books because of salary cap issues. Because right. you okay. have to declare you. how much revenue comes in and adjust their revenue with expenses and all that. I got you. I got you. And baseball and baseball they don't have to. They don't have to because there's but, no cap. And there's no revenue share. Right. So if the owners, but the owners want a cap at some point, right? I mean, that's what, the, then they would have it to. It has been the, the unspoken dream of owners for years. Yes. Right. Okay. I'm just trying, I'm just trying to wrap uh, my head around it. But I, to be honest, I almost wonder if that car, that cart's out. Players are not going to give them a cap. They're not. Right. Um, right. And I think. Look, when Manfred made that comment on Wednesday night and said we're 100% playing, and then he right. makes that comment to Greenberg last night, and I'll get into him in a second, by the way. Okay? Um, get up! <laughs> there is a... There's a disconnect there, and I think the only thing I, I can think of that somebody mentioned to me when we were talking yesterday about this on the phone before the interview actually aired is that somebody got in his ear that there were owners who say, you know what? Screw it. Let's not play at all. That uh, he had to have 24. uh, I think it's 23 of the 30 owners to impose a schedule. If he has eight owners saying we don't want to play, they're not going to play. But when he said the unequivocal statement, did he see, I got the impression that he He didn't have his ducks lined up in a row. No, but he wasn't talking about imposing a 50-game season, right? He was talking about when he said unequivocally, I thought he meant that they were going to reach an agreement for however number of games it would have been, 70, whatever. But then for him to come back, you know, two days later or whatever it was and completely change, because he still can impose that 50-game or 40-game or whatever. If he has 23 of the 30 owners, in my opinion. Oh, oh, and you don't think I don't think he does. Oh, okay. I think so there are think some owners, owners. I think there's enough you, owners right now who are willing to just say no season. Okay. Are you better off, you, Kevin, who's covered baseball for years, your baseball guy, would you rather have the 50 or 48 games? I'd rather, have, you no rather have them just say to hell with it. I'd rather have no season. Okay. Okay. I'll, I that think being, I'm with you. That being said, Mm-hmm. I also talked to another person I, I trust yesterday about this, and he he estimates, uh, like, and we're talking about damage long term to the sport. And one of the thing, and this guy was critical of Manfred, so I shouldn't, I, I, I you know, I shouldn't 
I should declare that that's what this guy, how he felt. That Manfred has went to eliminate these minor league teams, and the term was 40 at the beginning. He thinks it's going to be over 60 by the time this is all done because of the economic struggles, and it gets them to pare it down and less labor cost and all that. And well, what does that do to the sport? The idea is it saves them money. No, no, but what does it do to organizations who are trying to develop players to get to well, instead help of, them at the big league level? Instead of having three single-A teams, you may have one or two. Okay. Okay. So do you think they, do you think they have too many now? Like, do you think there's too many? No, I, I, think, I think the minor leagues are fine the way they are. Oh, okay. I think, okay. honestly, the minor leagues, with the level of development that's not going on in this sport, of fundamentals and everything – Shortening the minor leagues and reducing the pool of players in the minor leagues is not going to make the sport better. It just isn't. Okay. And okay. the idea that you're taking it away from communities. Well, that too. I, yeah, I hadn't even thought it, of that. It, yeah, it is right. just a disaster. And yet this is what this owner or this is what this commissioner seems perfectly happy with. Because they don't look. Do you think in all honesty, Major League Baseball cares about Williamsport or Reading or name 100 cities around the country, Dubuque, Iowa. I mean, no, they don't. I mean, but they better. They better. Well, they better, but they're not. Kevin, we say this all the time. As the world moves forward, there are casualties. People get left in the the wake of that. And, Mike, I totally agree with that, but here's my counter-argument on it. This, the world is getting smaller. We've all agreed with technology, yep. the idea that you could see any team, any game, any time. Those minor league cities, those small little minor league cities, grow attachments to players that are there. They become right. customers. They pay for the MLB extra innings. They may plan, if you're in Williamsport, a trip to Philadelphia to go see the Phillies one time a summer. They keep the game going. You have a little, you know, you have the access of little kids. Plus, the minor leagues for a lot of families are the only things they can afford on a regular basis that involve baseball. So you're going to start taking that away. But like, I don't think they care. Smart, but but it's, I don't. When you can charge, when you can let, let's say I don't know what a, what a, a beer costs at a Phillies game. Ten bucks. Let's say it's ten bucks. So you raise it to twelve, and you know what? The people that go to the stadium or the park, they're going to pay it. it. It's like you can lop off things. And I, I agree with everything you're saying, Kevin. I, there, there's no doubt that it could cost them. But baseball's been doing that for 30 years. They've been doing things, you know, playing games at, at night uh, all the time. Um, you know, World Series games that kids can't watch. Um, games going three and a half hours and, and whatever. We've seen this. That's why baseball – is a sport that you and I like. We grew up with it. We mm-hmm. and, and I'm not saying kids coming up now don't. There, there aren't a certain number of kids. And you know maybe Major League Baseball looks at it and says, we only need a thousand players. You know we'll we'll still get our thousand players. You know let let them let them go play football or basketball. And, and they're probably right. You know, I mean you're you're the, the game itself is probably not going to get marred. But your 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 fans, yeah, you, 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 yeah, like like you said, with Williamsport or Trenton, let's say. I mean, Trenton's a Yankees affiliate, right? Um, and I've never no been a minor league fan, and, and but I, I know sh- people who are, right? And I, I should point out, 
Reading, Trenton, Lehigh, those type of cities probably aren't going to be affected by this. You're right. looking at Lakewood. You're looking at, I'm not saying that I know Lakewood's part of this group. It's just Williamsport's obviously been named in this group, the New York Penn League, all that. And, yeah. I mean, if you're talking that only Clearwater is going to be a AAA or your single-A affiliate, that's that's a problem. It really is. Well, it's a problem in Lakewood if you're if you're looking at uh, the people who have jobs at the stadium. Sure, the people, you, you know, but but like again, Kat, I don't. There's going they to don't be care. a lot of casualties with this pandemic, with, with with just the way the world is right now. And it's like we hear people say, "Well, people are going to die." Okay, so you're we're, you're you know twenty thousand more people are going to die, and we're going to say, "Okay, there's not." Well, that's what's going to happen with minor league baseball. Things are going to die, and people are going to sit there and go, well, okay, you know, that, that you know, there's nothing we could do. Yeah, it's like the Godfather. There's nothing we could do about it. Um, and it, it just is. It's it's the future. It's, you know, they see the, these an owner who's, who, like you said, you know, could be worth, his franchise could be worth $2 billion or whatever, sits there and says, oh, my God, I can save uh, this by not doing that. I mean, it's like we've seen with the NBA for all these years. Why have NBA minor leagues that are starting to have now when we have college basketball? Mm-hmm. Football is the same way. Why would we have a minor league when we have college football? Well, um, y- you know, and then you-, you and I sit here and we say when owners make decisions like to save a million dollars, and we'll sit there and go, really? You're going to affect thousands and thousands, tens of thousands of lives to save a million dollars in your franchise's worth $2.5 billion? But you know what? The bottom line is it's not your money. It's not my money. It's theirs. It's their money. It's their business. And they're going to do whatever the hell they want. And we can't stop it. And the way you stop it is you don't go to the ballpark. You don't buy the hot dog. You don't buy the beer. You don't buy the jersey. But you and I know people aren't going to do that. They aren't. And I'm not telling them to. I'm just, you know. But if people are going to show up, the Phillies get good again. And you all of a sudden you start getting 30, 35,000 going on a regular basis, and they're spending their money at the ballpark and they're paying for their parking yeah. and on and on and on and on. Mike, to go with it. Mike, you know. I agree with you, except this I, I'll use the line Chris used on, on the other issues. It's this, different. This feels different. Yeah, no, I, I, but I think he was talking more about the movement. Oh, no, no, I, he was. Yeah. I'm saying on this yeah. one, though, it's the same type of thing. Yeah, but people come back, Kevin. They always, you know what the f- funny thing is? People always say they're not going to. You know, you'll interview people. Like, if there's a strike, let's say baseball doesn't have a season. They'll go interview people. Um, you know, this is horrible. I'm never coming back. I've been a fan since 1975. And you know what? A year later, they come back. The Phillies are good, whatever. They come back. Maybe not every single one. But for the majority of them come back because that's the nature of us. It's why we're sitting here for three months going cuckoo yeah. because we have nothing to do. You know, there's no baseball, there's no football, there's no golf, there's no this, there's no that. And we immediately, every time there's a strike in any sport, a work stoppage, what do we do? We come back. back. That's just us. We need sports. I will say, and this you is know? and this is my hope if there is a 50-game season. And pardon the language. Uh, don't go there. I want it to be the most colossal bleep up ever. <laughs> I want like the I want like the 
Miami Marlins and the Baltimore Orioles in a World Series. I want something that makes it a complete. Yeah, but see, the one thing circus. with a fifty-game schedule, Kevin, it could is every game will matter. Like we could sit here and say, well, you know, but like when the Phillies are playing their third game, we're going to care because it matters. Even if two teams that you didn't think of, yeah, and, and P, so people will care. Um, they might not be – there's two ways of looking at it. If you get two teams in the World Series that you didn't really think were going to be there, you say, ah, this was novel. You know, this was – okay, it was different. We'll put an asterisk next to it, whatever. Or people you know, people could say, you're, you're at it and say, oh, God, it stunk. I can't watch. But you know people are going to watch. Yeah. If, it, if it's the Orioles and the Marlins, you know they're going to watch. Um, I, because. I, I would so – I just – I'm rooting for yeah. chaos at this point. See – that's why I like Chris's Chris's suggestion. If it was his or his friend, I don't know if he, it yeah. was his or somebody told him. Or one of his callers, have a, tour- right? have a tournament. Name it after Jackie Robinson. The 42-game thing was awesome. Yeah. You know, and at least this way, you get some kind of positive out of it. Maybe for the whole season. How about this? The whole season, everybody wears number 42. No. Every game, no, everybody I, wears 42. I, I don't know. Um... But at least that way, if they just come back and play 50 games and try to treat it like a normal 162 kind of thing, uh, I mean, people like you and me will sit there and go, really? And, and, really? and I'm I'm saying no, by the way, on the on the 42, only because. No, that's fine. I was it be, that no, it becomes it becomes gimmicky, you know. And, and yeah, yeah, you're right. I mean, right. you know, kind of like the one night a year that everybody wears 42, um, right? Uh, you know, it, it, you want you want to you want to help the game. You play the game, and if you want to help yeah. the game, if you're Rob Manfred, if you want to develop the game, you make sure that you get more into the inner cities and, and grow the game there. African American popular uh, uh, participation in baseball has been falling for three decades, and it's a problem that's long before him. But then take care of that. You know, if you want to grow the game. You make the game, you make the game accessible, and it, it's not accessible for a lot of people right now. And well, there's not. It, look, I the, the, and accessible the, the being I, cost, meaning uh, you don't, you know, having a television schedule it makes sense. Um, well, that's not going to happen because when they're giving you a billion dollars, they're going to do what they're going to do. I mean, you you can't you can't have it both ways. You can't take the billion. And then say, okay, we want a two o'clock World Series game on a Saturday. Ain't going to happen because they're going to tell you that no, 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 right. no, no. Our ratings will be better at eight all o'clock. Right. We know that Fox is a part of their base; has been a long-term baseball partner and all that. Okay, and Fox shows the sport through the year. Okay, whether on FS1 or on main Fox. When Turner Turner shows up for only the playoffs. Like you, it's just very weird the way they operate. And I know it's only for for money. I get it, but they're they're just so poor at their marketing. I I've said this time and time and time again. Kevin, if the Cartoon Network had had bid two hundred million or five or more than the Turner, they would have given it to the Cartoon Network. Why are you surprised Which, when money trumps everything? I I, I don't. I don't Money trumps everything when there's contract negotiations for TV, for college football, or for whatever. Name anything you want, the Olympics, whatever. 
It's whoever puts the most money on the table. It doesn't matter. We've had Olympics where 90% of the programming was taped. Yeah. And and I sit there and go, really? I'm like, I know who won, but I'm, it doesn't matter anymore. It's all about what somebody is willing to throw into the pot. In a perfect world, Monday night football would start at 7. But it can't because it's 4 o'clock on the West Coast. Mm-hmm. Okay? And they get better ratings at 9 o'clock on the East Coast than they get at 7 o'clock on the East Coast. Yeah. It doesn't have to make sense. Nope. If, if the 10-year-old kid can't stay up and watch it or the 62-year-old kid can't stay up and watch it, so be it. I love how That's you, what you have Sports Center highlights for. I love how you call, um, your, I love how you call you know? yourself a 62-year-old kid. Um, well, you know what I'm saying. Hey, where I grew up, the street I grew up on, there was right down the block from me, there was a baseball field. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, and whatever, and basketball court, whatever. About five, six, seven years ago, I drove past. It ain't there anymore. Yeah. They, 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 it's just a foot. It used to be a football. And they took the baseball part out. Mm-hmm. Now, this is white northeast Philadelphia. Um, and I've seen this happen several places. So it's not just an inner city thing. No. Um, and to play baseball, let's face it. You and I can go play basketball with a ball and a hoop. It's all we need. I can go over by myself and play. Baseball, you need a bat. You need balls. You need gloves. You need a few people at least. It's a harder sport to um, to get participation in simply for that reason. Explain, uh, explain it, why know, football then. What's that? Explain why football is still... Able to well, I can go. I can go over the field, you and I, and we can toss a football around. Yeah, that's true. I, I mean, I'm. I'm just saying. I. I that, that's why I always said, like the difference between tennis and golf. I can go out on a golf course and just hit a golf ball. I can't play tennis. I mean, I guess I could hit it against a wall, but I can't play tennis unless I'm playing with someone who's about my ability level, or it's not going to be, you know, anything. I can go out with a hockey. I can put a hockey little, a hockey stick and a ball and hit the ball against the wall if I want. Yep. Um, I think baseball is just a little tougher nut to get, you know, you need nine guys as opposed to five for baseball or, or basketball. Um, and football numbers are going down. Yeah, I mean, you, you know, they're going down too because people are playing soccer now. Um, they just don't play it when they're 16. <laughs> and I mean, it, yeah, I mean, that's what happens. Yeah. They play soccer till they're 16 and then they go root for football, I guess. Yeah. I, you know, um, but this thing is, you I never thought it would get this, and I still think they could. Whatever. I never thought it would get this nuts, but I'm more afraid of the future than this year. I really am because yeah. this thing is so contentious right now. I just don't see how they sit at a table next year or sit on Zoom, and, I, and that probably hasn't helped that they haven't been sitting in a room. Yeah, I don't know if that would make a big difference, but I mean, this sport could blow up. Yep. I agree. All right. So we're recording tomorrow. It'll be out on Thursday. Jim Gardner uh, from Action News to talk about the 50 years of Action News, to talk about his memories of Philadelphia sports in his time of 44 years as the lead anchor over there. And uh, we'll have some fun. I'm sure we will. Jim's looking forward to it. He emailed me and said he's looking forward to it. Uh, You said this the other last week. He's an icon. Yeah, I mean, if you put the, the top Philadelphia guys, he might be at the top of the list. Yep. Um, and one thing I do want to ask him about, though, what is, is um, Jim O'Brien. 
Yeah. And I know that's been almost 50 years, right? That's been 40 years. I 40 guess. years. Uh, About yeah, 40. 83. That was one of the sad, saddest days. You, you, were, you, you weren't old enough, right? You, I was you were, 10. Okay, see, okay, maybe you were yeah, old. I remember it. Um, uh, and obviously it Gary Pop one, is another one that... Jim Mork. Oh his. God. Yeah. Gary. Yeah. And you know, it's funny. You forget about people. We're, we're guilty of that. Yeah. You, you know, when you just mentioned Gary's name, it's like, okay, it comes back. And I remember sitting with Gary at one of those coaches versus cancer things when he was telling people about his cancer yep. and crying. And then he recovered, I think from it. Right. Yep. And he, he used to do the, was it the bike race or, or, or the, the walk, the walk on uh, the father's like day. Year. But the day that Jim O'Brien died, Mm-hmm. I was just sitting there in front of the TV. It was so emotional that, you know, and I can't remember. I mean, Pelly Lindbergh was emotional, a different kind of emotion. Yeah. Um, Jerome Brown. Jim O'Brien was like in your living room yep. every single night. Yep. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 it's amazing to think it's been that long. Yep. Jesus. God. All right, sir. <sighs> I will talk to you tomorrow. Quick turnaround for us. Yeah, I don't know if I'm up to it or not. Yeah. Our thanks to Chris Carlin for joining us. <laughs> Rest up, Mike. Yeah. Our, our thanks to Chris Carlin for joining us. Thank you for joining us here on We're Gonna Be. Well, you went uptown.